This month's Where Did the Road Go is brought to you by three amazing people. Super Inframan, Allison Cook, and 36 Dingo. If you want to become a patron or a sponsor, go to wheredidtheroadgo.com. And now our show. Transmission start. Welcome to Where Did the Road Go? Join us as we wander off the path and explore lost history, consciousness, the paranormal, unexplained mysteries, alternative thought, and much more. We are present on the web at wheredidtheroadgo.com. Now here is your host, Soraya. Welcome to this edition of Where Did the Road Go? And tonight is the 10th anniversary of Where Did the Road Go? I started doing this 10 freaking years ago. And there's only two guests I could possibly feel appropriate having on for the 10th anniversary, and that is Red Pill Junkie. Good evening. And this other guy, uh, Joshia Crutchen, who I, <laughs> it says here, believes in fairies and plays tuba. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> Hi, Josh. It's been, it's it's been, been a, while. a while. It's been a while. It's been a while. But, uh... Yeah, you, you guys were part of the first handful of roundtables. Uh, I sent you, I sent you guys the date the first time Red Pill came on. Um, Josh, I heard you on uh, uh, whatchamacallit show, uh, Micah Hanks show. And when I first yeah. heard you, I was like, oh, I need this guy on the show. I can't wait for his book to come out. <laughs> that Micah Hanks show was my first podcast ever. Mm. Micah, Micah did me real solid. Uh Having me on, even though I didn't have, I think maybe I just completed the manuscript for a Trojan Feast. So he uh, he 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 uh, plugged me in, and we've been fast friends ever since. So the fact that you were impressed by my first interview, I'm going to take as a compliment. <laughs> it was. It definitely was. I, yeah. I felt that we would click really well, and I was like, "Oh, this I need to talk to this guy." And then you you wrote me, and you're like, "Hey, I have this book," and I'm like, "Oh, this guy, yeah, you you have to come on." <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I did write you, and it was. Yep. I was like, I don't have, I don't know if you, yeah, I, I think the book was done at that point, but I, it was. I, I had found, I had found where did the road go somehow. I mean, you know, there is this sort of where did the road go extended universe, as yeah. I like to call it, all the affiliate <laughs> yeah. podcasts. Um, now, nowadays, the cool kids call those swap casts, right? Yeah, right. Um, but uh, you were doing it before it was called that. And I'd found where did the road go, and I, I knew that I wanted to speak with you because I had to get on the endless hamster wheel of, of, of uh, self promotion. So here we are. I uh, never got off. <laughs> and and the thing with like swapcast is, I mean, to me, it's just like help everyone you know who's doing quality stuff get the word out because it helps everyone. You know, where the road goes not going to be for everyone. Some people are going to prefer say strange familiars or conspiracy normal or something like that, and. That's great. If they if they like that more, I want I want them to be exposed to it. And if your podcast is repeated across two different podcasts that you listen to, that's fine because yeah. there are so many good podcasts out there nowadays on this stuff. I mean, I just don't have enough time in the day to listen to them all, unfortunately. So yeah. so initially I didn't try having more than one person on Skype for probably a year. Because my internet was so bad, and I was like, "Is is it just going to freak out if I try to have more than one person?" Like I felt like I was lucky to be able to get one person clearly. Well, and Skype was pretty janky back then. It's, it's not not janky oh, yeah. now, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, so I think the first time I tried having more than one person was the UFO History Show with Mike and Aaron. So we did that, and that worked. And I went, "I can have more than one person on." And so I think the very first roundtable, Josh, I, I asked you to do it, and we had Mike Hughes. 
Mm-hmm. And I think yep. I think summer. And summer yep, didn't come summer. in until halfway through, which was not preferred. But um, you know mm-hmm. that that whole situation worked. And then we tried a couple other combinations. And then Josh, you were like, "Why haven't you invited Miguel?" And I went, "I don't really know Miguel. Should I invite Miguel?" And you were like, "Yeah, you should invite Miguel." And I'm like, "Inviting Miguel? When the heck did I meet Miguel? That's what I'm trying to figure out." Wasn't I it? listened to the, the that same uh, Micah Hank uh, interview? I was back then. Uh, I was listening religiously to, to Micah's show. And I listened to that, and I think that uh, also Micah had a really good uh, chat room. Yes, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of our friends interacted there, and you also contacted me. I think you sent me uh, an email. I guess I don't know. I, I'm guessing Micah uh, gave you my address, so you sent me an email and ask and ask to Skype. So we uh, chatted for about. Two hours or so. That's okay. Yeah, this is coming back to me. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And you also asked me, I think, to to read the, the manuscript so I could yep. give you my, my impressions. Uh, and yeah, that's that's why that's how we uh, hooked up. And and you haven't been able to get rid of me ever, ever since. Unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> we we uh, and and I rem- and I knew who you were, Red Pill, because of Micah, because he would reference you in the chat room and stuff. And I think you were on there once, but you barely talked. So I didn't get much of a sense of, of like you talking on there. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also were very kind to write up uh, stuff in the Daily Grail about where did the road go, which was very That's helpful right. and appreciative. Yeah. I was oh, very appreciative of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I still remember uh, how I, for some reason I was still up three in the morning. Maybe I was playing a video game or something and I had my uh, tablet or my cell phone and I received this message. <laughs> From Soraya asking me if I wanted to be on um, Where Did the Road Go? And I was like, oh, finally, <laughs> it took you long <laughs> enough. Because by then, all my friends had been there. I, I, I admit it. I admit it that I, I felt a little left out. Well, that was not intentional. <laughs> if I had known you wanted to come on, I would have asked you much earlier. Yeah, but I, you know, the idea of asking, oh, can I be there? It's... it's it's like you need to let it happen organically. Sure, sure. And there are people that I've had on who I've liked would like to have back. Have said, "Oh, I'd like to have you on a round table," and I don't because I'm just so overwhelmed with most of this stuff, and I'll forget and be like, oh, "I still wanted to have that person on," and then I throw round tables together really quickly, and then I'm like, "Still didn't have that person back," and I feel bad because I'm like, I, they probably feel like I don't want them on, but it's not the case. I'm just overwhelmed. I, you know, when I started this, I was not so overwhelmed. I got to spend a lot of time on it. And now I just like, it's, it's, it's hard. It is. It's hard to get each show done every week and make it a quality show because I don't want to put, I don't want to like phone anything in, you know, I still Mm want to read the books all the way through, even though my reading ability declined after I had COVID the first time, which is very frustrating for me. I used to be able to down a book in a couple of days and now I'm like, oh man, I can get a few chapters and I'm done. Uh, so let us interview you, Soraya, for once, you know, like <laughs> now that we're talking about how things have changed uh, as you have uh, progressed in doing uh, Where Did the Road Go? And definitely you know, one of the reasons uh, the show has been able to maintain its quality uh, and its popularity for so long is because, yeah, you, you invest a lot of uh, time. Uh, you're not w- winging it. You know, no. So this, uh, 
you, you when you do your uh, due diligence and your homework when you have uh, guests. Uh, so let me ask you first of all, so many guests you already had. Do you still have like uh, someone in mind that you haven't had a chance to interview and that you would be, you know, really wanted to, to have in the future? Probably. Um, Greg Little was on that list. I got to have him on a few months ago. Uh, I would like to have Graham, uh, Graham Hancock on still, although not like when I started it, he was like, okay, that would be the best person, you know, like my top person on my list. Now it's kind of like, okay, I still like Graham and I still want to talk to him, but I feel like everything he's had to say, he's probably already said a million times other places. Yeah, you're just going to get uh, pre-selected <clears throat> sound bites that he, you know, reflexively just sort of spits out. Yeah, and that's that's the thing. Yeah. Like, I'd still love to have him on, but it's no, no longer a top of the list. The same with Whitley Strieber. I feel the same way. Like, Whitley's out there so much. I would love mm -hmm. to talk to Whitley, but, eh, you know. No, I, I think that having just talked to Whitley this past Tuesday, um, you know, the thing about him and his, his, his opinions are constantly changing. Mm, that's um, true. And, uh, and I think that, I think that y'all would have some really interesting things to, to discuss. Um, there was someone else. Oh, of course, Jacques Vallée would be nice to have on. Uh, someone mm. offered me to have, uh, if I wanted to interview him a couple of months ago and I responded with, well, yeah. And then I never heard back and I was like, okay, well, oh. I'll, I'll, I'll follow that up no later. Text is Jacques at all. <laughs> it yeah. was just like, would you like to? Like, yeah. And they're like, cool. <laughs> I bet you would. <laughs> well, they were offering me the new book. They said, you know, would you like the new book? And would you like to have Jock on the show? And I was like, well, yeah, absolutely. And then, I don't know, just nothing happened. I also didn't follow it up because I'm terrible at emailing people. So that that just never never quite came about. But I mean, yeah, there's, there's every once in a while, I'll, I like, I'd love to have the two guys who wrote The Invisible Gorilla on. I haven't contacted them yet, so I don't know if they'd be willing to do it. But I think that book is so important to understanding how we see reality. And, of course, that folds right into how we perceive the paranormal. Even if they don't want to talk about paranormal stuff, that's fine. I think their research was important. Well, that, sorry, I don't want to be over, over talk or over share. But um, I think that's something that just happens, though, when you're in these topics enough, is that like you kind of want to have conversations about something besides the paranormal so you can understand the paranormal. Right. Um, oh, yeah. There's this Ami Michel mm -hmm. quote that, that Jeff Kripal told me about that I cannot get out of my head ever since I heard it. And uh, Ami Michel, French uf ufologist, said something basically to the effect of, uh, of uh, UFOs are the only topic where you start out looking at strange things in the sky and you end up studying Arab mis mystics. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's pretty much on the nose. I will say that I started this show at the right time because mm. starting a podcast now is hard. I mean, there's so much stuff out there. And now that these major companies have realized there's money to be made in podcasting, mm -hmm. they're, they're just overwhelming everything. And whereas occasionally that stuff is good, most of the time it's just generic junk because that's all it has to be. So when I yeah, start- it's the paradox. Uh, yeah. Like uh, the technology to have a podcast has become uh, more easy to acquire. Yes. You yeah. know, you pretty much uh, can have, a, I don't know, like a $50 microphone, a decent laptop, and you're ready to go. Yep. Uh, and a good, like you said, internet connection. Internet connectivity has also in, uh, be become better. Uh, but yeah, at the same time, that paradox is that now that everybody can have a, a podcast, everybody's trying to have a, a podcast. And now 
to, to, to be able to stand out from the rest of the crowd is definitely going to be much more difficult. Yeah. So, I mean, I didn't start this as a podcast. To me, I was thinking radio. You know, I was, mm. I was more thinking along the lines of coast to coast, but on a small scale mm-hmm. since I was already on the radio and it was 2012. And so I was like, you know, uh, I asked, I had asked at my radio station if they'd let me do an hour long talk show on the paranormal and got no response. Mm. And I went, I'll take that as a no. All right. And then I was talking to uh, a guy who did a local music show. And I said something about it. He's like, oh, that's a cool idea. I'm like, yeah, they didn't respond to me. He goes, did you write the program director? I'm like, yeah. He's like, yeah, he does that. Write him again. So I don't think I even, I think I wrote, yeah, I did write him again. He's like, oh, no, I thought this was a great idea. When do you want to start? (laughs) And I'm like, oh, uh, I don't know, January? And he's like, cool. We have a a Grateful Dead show starting in January. You want to work with that and start on the same date? And I'm like, sure. And initially he was going to have me on then the Grateful Dead show, then the last exit. And I'm like, well, that seems silly. Why would you put something in between my two shows? Why, why don't we do Grateful Dead, Where'd the Road Go, Last Exit? And he's like, oh, that does make more sense. Okay. I was thinking like a Sunday night or something like that initially. I didn't know how, you know, how where they would want to put something like this. And I only put it up as a podcast and as a YouTube video because I figured, hey, more exposure, the better. And uh, I was lucky enough, and I think because I was on radio and because the podcast world wasn't overwhelmed at that point, to get people like David Weatherly, Robert Schock, Andrew Collins, you know, right off the bat. Mm. And so those guys came on, and that I think the David Weatherly YouTube video jumped to like 4,000 hits almost overnight. And I was like, whoa, that was unexpected. Okay, cool. So, uh, you know, I focused a little more on putting the stuff on YouTube and figuring out how to monetize it which was not something I had even thought about going into this. This is, this has always been a labor of love. You know, I, I like talking about this stuff. I like talking to people about this stuff. I mean, that thing uh, is one of the characteristics that uh, most of the good podcasts have in common. The yes. idea that it didn't, they, it didn't start as a, as a money-making scheme. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that people were doing it for the love of it. You know, like, I mean, Greg Bishop. Yep. Uh, doing Radio Misterioso, and he's almost uh, religiously against any attempts to try to commercialize in it. You know? it, it will ruin the allure of it for him. Uh, but now, obviously, like you said previously, a lot of people that uh, they think that if they, if they put out, I don't know, 12 or, 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 or 15 episodes, uh, the Spotify is going <laughs> to knock on their door with a million dollar contract <laughs> or some kind of, or some sponsor, you know, uh, is going to, is going to call them. Well, well, last year when we did this, I did it with the snake brothers and they asked how many shows I had. And because I never did it as a podcast, I just date them. I don't number them. Like when people do podcasts, they usually number them, but I always put out the date it airs on the radio. So I had to go while we were doing the show and like go into one of my folders, how many files, how many files. And I had, at that point, I had over a thousand shows. Mm. So Jeez. probably over 1,100 at this point. And that's not counting Patreon stuff. You could have learned a much more valuable skill in the time that you spent <laughs> sitting on a podcast. <laughs> I've, I've, I've learned so much from this show, though. Like it has completely changed the way I view everything. 
Mm-hmm. And well, I've that met actually is and, ahead, sorry. And I've met awesome people and become friends with a bunch of them. Well, that actually leads into a segue. It's a pretty good segue for a question that I would have for you, which is um in the past 10 years, what opinions of yours have changed? Well, like, are there are there things that you thought were legitimate that you've soured on? Are there yes. things that uh, you thought were bunk that you've come around to? Yes. So let's see. When I started this, I didn't have a problem with hypnosis. Uh, the first person to bring to light the stuff about hypnosis, probably in the first year or so of the show, was uh, Paul Kimball. Um, so I was having different guests on every week and people kept saying they wanted more shows and I'm like, but I don't, I don't want to just put something out for the sake of putting something out. It has to be good if I'm going to put it out. Not, not that every show is going to be good, but it's not saying I'm just, like I said, I'm not going to phone it in. So I started having Micah Hanks and Paul Kimball on like every other week or so as a midweek edition of the show just went up on as a podcast. And one of those weeks, Paul and I got into the whole hypnosis thing, which, Again, I didn't know hypnosis was that unreliable. I didn't realize it had no evidence of being a memory recall tool or any of that stuff. And after I talked to him, I went and checked all the stuff he said, and all the stuff he said was true. And I was Mm -hmm. like, wow, that just shifted a lot for me because, you know, I, I took a lot from people like Bud Hopkins. You know, that stuff was really interesting. And now it's like, oh, so it doesn't discount everything Bud did. But it it changes the way you have to look at it to realize that the hypnosis thing isn't necessarily a perfect recall tool like some of these people make it out to be. A hundred percent. And that's sort of, I've sort of landed on a more charitable interpretation, which is one that I'm sure longtime listeners will be familiar with at this point. But the idea that hypnosis is accessing some other place in real time, I think is a much more valuable way to approach it than yes. an active recall of, of memories. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a great example that was um, in uh, this book by Jim Schnabel, I think his name is called near white or near dark or something like that. Dark white, <laughs> something like that. Um, and it, he has an example from a uh, hypno- hip, uh, hypnotic regressions uh, session that Jenny Randall's, was attending and it became very apparent over the course of the hypnosis session that the questions they were asking were being relayed to the entities in real time through the abductee and the um mm-hmm. i think people who were present maybe even the author of memory serves was using this to discredit the whole thing and if you're if you're approaching it from the angle of of memory retrieval that's definitely true but if you sort of view it from that other angle that this might be some some form of legitimate contact which yeah. is something that's certainly hinted at with things like psychomantiums and other scrying and, and divination methods, then it, it has still retained some degree of utility, I guess the best way to put it. I, uh, other things like, like, so going into this, I would have said that poltergeists are simply manifestations of unconscious PK energy. Uh, and I was pretty, pretty satisfied with that. And I believe it was this guy, red pill junkie or something, uh, who mentioned that why why couldn't a, a spirit hijack that energy? And initially, I was like, no, that doesn't. And I was like, oh, he's right. Why couldn't? This? And actually, <laughs> you also mentioned the hypnosis thing that you know, what if people are tapping into uh, something else when they're hypnotized? It's not a memory recall, but they're actually having that abduction experience right then while they're being hip- hypnotized. Mm. So you'll throw things out that are so outside my way of thinking sometimes. And then I just initially have like this mild resistance to it. And then the more I think about it, the more I'm like, no, he's right. (laughs) I mean, that's interesting for for the fact that uh, I have such a lousy memory when it comes (laughs) to to, 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 like personal experiences. 
And it's almost like when, when we're having these, uh, these roundtables, it's almost as if I am entering in some sort of hypnosis of my own. Uh, uh, like I enter in some sort of like flow state in which uh, obviously I'm, I'm uh, having a rapport with you guys about what the, the current discussion. And then all of a sudden I might have one of those <coughs> ideas, crazy ideas, uh, throwing them at you. Um, you know, sometimes those ideas... Uh, uh, are really interesting and, and something that I completely unexpected that wasn't really thinking about that at the time. And then user I says, Oh, you remember that thing that you said in that in so and so occasion that was so interesting? It's like, No, actually, I don't. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> but uh, I agree with myself, that is very interesting. <laughs> I have a friend whose memory is absolutely horrendous, but he is super creative. And so, like, we'll be working on something, and he'll come up with an idea, and I'll be like, oh, that's great, and I'll write it down. And then, like, a year later, we'll go to do, you know, whatever it is he came up with, and he'll be like, oh, that's really good. How'd you come up with that? I'm like, it was your idea. He's like, really? Oh, I, I guess I'm really good at this stuff. <laughs> well, that, that, that opens the question of uh, where do ideas come from? Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the uh, oh, I was just going to say something else that had to do with Josh, and now I forgot what it was. Every time I read one of Josh's books, it, it puts me on new paths as well. Like, I don't have um, specifics for you, Josh, but, like, you're one of the people, like, like for Ecology of Souls, which I have not finished yet, you know, you're like, well, I have the summaries right there, and I'm like, no. First of all, I feel, I feel wrong just reading the summaries, mm. but also, <laughs> I know I am going to read this, and I'm going to learn stuff that I didn't know that I'm not going to get from the summaries. You're going to talk about something. I'm going to be like, whoa, what the hell is that? I need to look more into that, you know? Or you're going to present an idea that I just had never heard of because you're approaching this stuff, like like the smell and the, and, and, uh, the taste thing. No one's ever done that before. No one even thought to do that before. And you're showing these interconnections. So one of the things that definitely changed was that I don't think I had really much of an opinion on Bigfoot. When I went into this, like it wasn't one of my main focuses. I was perfectly fine with it being an undiscovered ape. And slowly, the more I talked to people, the more stories I heard, I went, well, there seems to be this like paranormal element. Um, but I mean, you and Tim with the, the, the freaking, uh, with a footsteps end, you've removed any doubt that this is primarily a paranormal experience, whatever that word paranormal <laughs> means, but not a flesh and blood ape. Well, I, I, I still leave some wiggle room. The thing that, yes, yes. The, thing that mm -hmm. the thing that perturbs me the most um, is why a, for lack of a better term, supernatural phenomena would adhere so closely to very specific aspects of primate anatomy. Yeah. And I'm referring to things like, you know, dermal ridges, dermal ridges and mid-tarsal breaks in the footprints. These footprints, from all appearances, look to be made by things that correspond to primate anatomy you even have um you even have sightings where bigfoot's hair stands on end which is a, a factor seen in great apes mm. um, a lot of these indigenous depictions especially on totem poles show the bigfoots with their lips pursed in a hooting um and a hooting expression which is something again that you see in great apes so why this phenomenon would choose something that specific but not just make it a chimpanzee or something uh, is something that still confounds me because when this, when these phenomena, this phenomena, if we want to speak singularly about it, mm. decides to appropriate the imagery of other animals, it oftentimes seems to just reproduce the animal and just give it some interesting traits. So 
I don't that that's the one thing that keeps confounding me. But yes, I, I think that the high strangeness is actively perhaps underreported in these stories. I I really do at this point. And I mean, I when I read Illuminations from uh, I can never remember his first name. Well, that's his last name. Eric Eric Willett. Okay. And so, you know, and he's looking at UFOs as mass poltergeist events, which is not entirely different from some stuff that, that Seth said. And I was just kind of like, this is really interesting. And that's when I was, you know, and someone's talking about a Bigfoot case and I'm going, that's also like poltergeist activity. And I threw that out to like you and Tim and you named it the wilderness poltergeist. And it was like, that's perfect. That is exactly what it is. Yeah, I think that I think that to be fair, I think that Lauren Coleman mentioned that he did. back when he was the steward of the Crypto Mundo blog. But like so many other things that I I have tried to do with my writing is taking a passing observation that someone makes and say, wait, 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 no, <laughs> let's let's unpack this and see how right. far we can how far <laughs> we can run with this. I mean, that's basically what the brimstone deceit was. Was people mm-hmm. kept on mentioning this smell of sulfur, and I'm like, okay, but what does that mean? Don't you aren't aren't you curious? Don't you want to dig into that? So yeah, right. The uh, yeah, Lauren, someone I think Red Pill. I think you were the one that brought up that Lauren had come up with that idea and just mentioned it in passing, and then never really focused in on it. Just kind of like, oh, there's similarities here, and then moved on. But I had never read that. I did. I came up with it independent of of Lauren's observation. Mine was inspired by the Illuminations book. Like I said, it was him treating something like the UFO phenomena as a mass poltergeist event was like, wow, that's that's a really interesting idea. And usually those are the authors I'm most interested in talking to. Like, I don't necessarily think he's necessarily right about it all, but there's something to that, you know? There's definitely right. some connection in there. And yeah. then I started looking around. The more things I looked at, the more things I'm like, yeah, this poltergeist idea kind of flows through all the paranormal stuff. Well, it, yeah. it's his interpretation has entered my list of possibilities behind the UFO phenomenon because what I normally say is, certain proportion is misidentification, et cetera. Um, but then that unexplained portion of sightings, I don't know, 10, 20, 30%, whatever, is comprised of a lot of different things, including perhaps extraterrestrial vehicles. But now I throw in that, you know, mass psi phenomena manifestation yeah. in there as well, because I thought that, that his work was so insightful. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. I agree, because uh, like some of the stuff that is being currently discussed in ufological circles, uh, regarding alleged uh, recovered uh, material samples from UFO crashes or maybe debris that was uh, expelled from uh, UFOs, the Ubatuba case. Nowadays, I tend to think more of, of, of those uh, materials to be more akin to upwards, like the upwards yes. that were reported in uh, spiritual senses then that's something that ha- was being deliberately or accidentally left by uh, uh, a solid craft. Yeah. So this is a very Patrick Harper idea. He, he folds into that as well. You know, saints relics and some of these fairy artifacts that we have, like tiny boots and flags and such. Mm-hmm. The, um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, like I said, those are the people I'm most interested in talking to, not necessarily the big names, but the people who have these novel ideas or different ways of looking at things, that's more interesting to me. Um, and it's not that, you know, the, the bigger names aren't also interesting, but again, a lot of times they've already said their piece so many times on so many different forums. Yeah. Um, see what else, what else have I changed my mind on? Um, I don't even know if it's so much changed my mind, but open up more, uh, acceptance to things like I, I, 
Going back pre-reading Seth, I did not believe in any channeling. I thought it was all nonsense. Mm. The Seth material changed my mind on that, although I was never sure and still aren't what Seth is. It's definitely relevant information, kind of like Castaneda. You know, mm-hmm. Even though it may have not been literally true, the relevant information in there, the stuff works. It's it's valuable. Um, yes. And now, you know, especially talking to people like Jack Hunter and stuff, I'm a little uh, less dismissive of things like channeling. Um, talking with people like Ren and others who are into astrology, <clears throat> I'm a little less dismissive of astrology, which was another thing I tended to just throw out. Mm. Um and uh, I, I guess the, the the big one, so I think it was the first year, I think it was 2013, I was able to get David Politis on, mm. uh, on my birthday, and it was one of the few two-hour shows I did uh, when we were still in a one-hour format, and we did it live on the radio. And uh, I mean, David, David's stuff was blowing me away. I was like, wow, this is a whole new mystery here, mm. and it's really fascinating. I mean, it sucks that it involves people disappearing and dying, but this is, you know, the... the whatever's causing it is interesting and now we you know here we are 10 years later or so or nine years later and uh i still think some of the cases he has pulled up are very interesting however i i think most of them need to be thrown out i think most of them have prosaic explanations i said that early on and people kind of glossed over it but i said i think a lot of these have excellent prosaic explanations we just don't have enough information because lots of things look weird if you don't have enough information, like if like uh, uh, the one in Russia there, um, that yeah, love, yeah. I mean, it looks weird. It might intentionally be made to look weird, um, mm. but if we had every bit of information, it may not be that weird. You know, it uh, might be un- <clears throat> perfectly understandable. Well, you criticize Politis, so YouTube comments in yeah. three, two, one. <laughs> And that's no. and that's the problem. No one should be beyond yes. uh, right. criticism. Like I'm not attacking David personally. Um, it's just I don't feel the data holds up. And I, when we did the show with the Snake Brothers, um, where we rehab, you know, someone had gone and re-researched a bunch of the cases in his book and found more information that showed like most of these people were alive. There was nothing weird. And I'm like, okay, that fits what I said. You know, most of these cases, it's prosaic explanations. But we initially, I was like, why did David not have this info? And they pointed out that a lot of this was coming from newspapers from way back that have only recently been digitized. So when David was doing his research, that stuff wasn't easily available. Now it is. Well, and the other thing that I think bears repeating that was brought to my attention as an issue in research by Tobias Wayland was that if you go back to the original sources, even for some of the strange stuff, you'll find that subsequent retellings have added details. And I'm not sure that it's malicious in any way. I think that it might just be a a written game of telephone. Yes. But you do find that even the example that he used was some completely superfluous details, excuse me, superfluous details that were added to a retelling that if you went back to the original fate magazine, I mean, obviously it's in fate magazine, like it's talking about something strange. Yeah. But if you went back to the original fate magazine article, it didn't mention any of those details at all. So I think that's a, that's a problem as well is, is that oh. something like Dyatlov pass, uh, mm-hmm. ends up getting <laughs> pardon the pun. It's snowballs. Yes. Into something uh, a little bit stranger than it maybe should be. Well, you know, I, I read this the other day. I don't remember. It popped up in my newsfeed somewhere. That uh, Humpty Dumpty was never an egg. 
Hmm. Really? And everything, you know, like most people, when you picture Humpty Dumpty, you picture this egg sitting on a wall. And nowhere in the original text does it say he was an egg. Well, he does fall down and break. What was he? A porcelain? Um, I think was he a Hubble said, figurine? <laughs> I think they said Humpty Dumpty was generally like a term for people who were extremely inebriated. Oh, mm. I've been a Humpty Dumpty in the past. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so. But I mean, that's, that's an example there where, you know, it just kind of assumes itself into the information or sometimes we put stuff in there because it makes more sense. Right. Right. Now, um, go ahead. No, uh, sorry. I was just going to segue into another, well, I was, I was going to heap some, some praise on you. Um, one of the things in the past, uh, I haven't been with where did the road go for 10 years, but one of the things in the past eight years, now that we're in 2023, that you have brought me around to that I was very um, resistant to in the beginning was the possibility that at least some of these phenomena are self-generated. Mm. I was very resistant to that because we all want there to be some sort of objective third party entity in the, in the equation. But sure. I've come around to that in a big way uh, in recent, probably in the last year or two. And I think back to those early conversations that we had and I'll be like, no, Soraya, I want there to be a thing. <laughs> and uh, you definitely, definitely made me do a, a 180 on that. Well, and it doesn't mean that all of them are self-generated, but some of them certainly are. And that speaks to how much power we have over our own reality. You know, if we're yes. generating this phenomena, even unconsciously, we have the ability to do that. We just don't know how to use it. And perception and all those things that we talk about. But yeah, I, th I think that, I think that once your worldview gets weird enough, you start to view everything that isn't us or isn't in the flesh as being sort of a soup that sits on the other side of whatever this veil is. And that could easily be a part of us or, or the realm that is, you know, our psyches. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did want to add to the missing people thing. There was uh, a case we covered uh, of the kid in North Carolina who was lost in the woods and taken care of by a bear. Uh, Casey yeah. something? Yes, Casey. Casey, yeah, yeah, Casey something. And that was, I mean, that is a weird case. Yeah. You know, and David did uncover quite a few cases like that that are very strange. It's just, you know, when you say... A lot of them from prosaic explanations. People get very upset. They're like, no, no, no. They want there to be a thing. You know? There was a historical marker that was placed somewhere. Uh, I can't remember right off the hand, so I apologize to everyone. But I, I dropped it in the Where to the Road Go Slack a while back. And it was a story uh, that was commemorating a sort of local legend that was basically a one-to-one -one match for that North Carolina story. And it almost makes me wonder if... I mean, this might be a little bit far out for some people, but it makes me wonder if sometimes we have these legends that are sort of boilerplates and onto that gets grafted real life. Like, in other words, <laughs> life imitates art to be yeah. really reductive about it. I mean, a, a good mm -hmm. example of that that I found recently, this stopped me dead in my tracks. Um, there was uh, one of the most profound paranormal experiences that I've ever had was at Waverly Hills in, in uh, Louisville. And... There was an entity on the fourth floor known as the, the creeper or the crawler or something like that. And what it would do is it would approach you from the ground or it would sort of like, you know, go up on the walls and above you, like, you know, it would sort of sort of rotate as it ran towards you, you know, all, all along all, all the surfaces. And this sounds like a really unique entity. And I was at the Trans-Allegheny, uh, I believe it's called the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum in West Virginia this past September. And the tour guide said, yeah, here on the fourth floor, we have an entity known as the, as the creeper. And it tends to walk along the walls and the ceiling. And I'm like, okay, I, I have to, 
if I assume that you're telling the truth, and I had a girlfriend at the time who saw this thing at Waverly, so and she described it that way before she was aware that that entity was on that floor. What does that say about hauntings? Is there yeah. a boilerplate for hauntings that the phenomena adapts to? I think that's a worthwhile approach to consider. And and I still like my idea of, of sort of that wandering consciousness that then sort of grafts itself onto our expectations or takes its form from, you know, sort of a, a consciousness exchange sort of thing. So if you're, you know, you're in the woods and you see something weird, well, I've heard about Bigfoot. So now you see Bigfoot and you describe the Bigfoot and then someone else sees that same piece of, of weirdness and our brains go, Remember that Bigfoot thing? Maybe this is the Bigfoot thing. And eventually that that piece of consciousness starts forming more and more to to uh, project itself as that Bigfoot thing because that's what it's being seen as. Either our expectations or the phenomenon itself flipping through the Rolodex of our brains and deciding what to wear that day. Right. Well, just- yeah, that, that's the thing because uh, the paranormal, in order to be perceived by the human mind, you know, has to go through uh, a sets of uh, perceptions and, and limitations uh, imposed by the human brain. You know, like this is something that I was uh, thinking about when I was uh, reading uh, a chapter in Rick, Rick Strassman's uh, book, DMT, the Spirit, the Spirit Molecule about how uh, many of the volunteers uh, who were, you know, administered uh, very uh, high dosages of DMT. Uh, one of the m- most common thing described are uh, very bright colors, uh, like neon lights, something like that. Uh, and then uh, some of the other m- very common uh, uh, reports involved uh, entities that look like clowns. And I was thinking, well, I mean, what are colors? Colors are basically, you know, energy vibrations yep. uh, that are perceived by our, by our brain. Uh, and if there's a change in the frequency of that uh, energy, our brain will perceive it as a, uh, as a change in hue or tonality. So uh, getting back to the clowns, what if those energy vibrations are perceived by the brain as some kind of like discrete uh, pack, packets of uh, energy vibration that seems to display some kind of like intelligence, wouldn't that be seen like uh, if you see something that you feel is an animated entity that kind of like your brain perceives it as almost like a humanoid looking, but you see it, you see it displayed in all sorts of weird colors. Well, what is a, if you think of a human uh, with weird colors, you might think, oh, well, that's a clown. Right. Oh, a clown is, is a, as a human that is put some kind of really weird, uh, bright, garish makeup uh, in order to, you know, to, to be perceived as a clown. So that's, is, that's the kind of things that uh, uh, obviously that is, is discussed in the psychedelic circles uh, in parapsychology. Unfortunately, it's not perceived, it's not discussed in paranormal circles because like we were discussing earlier, uh, or maybe we weren't discussing it in, the, in this conversation, the, the paranormal is always looking for a very literal explanation of these uh, reports. And it's, it's probably that it's, that's a great mistake because you are leaving behind uh, the human factor. Yeah. And, and that, that would be actually be another thing that my brain has, has shifted on 
is the use of things like psychedelics because before, I think as I started this show, I would have been against it. And now, you know, it's up to, pers- I think, personal choice. It works better for some people than other people. Like, I have no desire to use it, but uh, I, I no longer feel like it's cheating or invalidates the experience. Right. God, if you, if, you, if you took ayahuasca, Soraya, the world would end. <laughs> <laughs> but but to, that, to that extent, I think that there is an interesting counter-argument to the amount that we project onto these phenomena. I think that the psychedelics provide a, a fairly good counter-argument in the fact that people tend to see very specific things under the influence of some of these subject of substances. Um, you know, there, there are some specific things about DMT while not universal, definitely seem to happen more often in that space. Yeah. And if it was up to mm-hmm. interpretation or own personal biases, that shouldn't be the case. Similarly, there are those stories and I have reason to sometimes doubt the veracity, but you do hear these stories about famously a group of Inuit were administered ayahuasca and reported seeing large cats and jaguars or something that people see under the influence of ayahuasca. So that does imply that there's something fixed, at least in some cases about some of these modes of perception. Yeah. Or it's opening to a very specific world, you know? So like you're Inuit. True. But, yeah. But that's a way to put it. Yeah. yeah. Mm. That dimension that it's allowing you to see is that that has been populated by the people of the Amazon. And this is something that I discussed with a, uh, a friend uh, of mine recently via Twitter, um, how I was talking to him about Josh, Josh's book, Ecology of Souls, and now this idea of uh, UFOs are a psychopomps. Uh, and this is something that also aligns with uh, the paintings of ayahuasca paint, uh, artist uh, Pablo Maringo, who used to depict all these uh, bright uh, flying saucers inserted into his uh, psychedelically induced artwork. And he used to say, well, those are uh, like the vessels that the ancestors or the, or the spirits use, utilize in order to enter into our world. And I was talking to my friend about this idea that, well, what if the dead have some sort of technology? You know, what if they also went through uh, a, a certain industrial revolution? <laughs> <laughs> and he said, well, I have a, I have a hard time believing that a spirit will need some kind of like a machine in order to come into our world. And at that time, at that time, I didn't have a, an adequate answer for that. But then I realized I remember the all these stories uh, and reports from Rick Strassman's book, because one of the very common things that the volunteer reported is seeing machines, all these uh, very advanced uh, machinery that they didn't understand uh, what they were supposed to do, these these, uh, technological, seeming technological objects. But the idea of, of of going through a psychedelic experience and instead of seeing like nature things or seeing just uh, 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 you know mandalas of color or whatnot, the fact that these many of these volunteers reported machinery. Okay, so why why are these psychedelic entities using machines? Well, maybe the, the same for the same reason that UFO entities. Uh, also use machines. What what if UFOs are uh, alien entities having a trip? <laughs> and that's why when they have a trip, that's when they come into our world. And that's why UFO 
uh, encounters are so chaotic, they are so unexpected, and also they are so brief. Well, and know? also the entities, how many times have you read the stories where the entities look surprised? <laughs> as right, surprised right. as the witnesses. You know, that, yeah. That definitely conforms to that. Yeah, that was that was one of the weirdest ideas that I ended up playing with in Ecology of Souls. And man, it is such, it's kind of intimidating to try to present that to an audience and them not think you're crazy, that there's some <laughs> sort of like technology from the afterlife or something. But you look into it and there are old issues of Flying Saucer Review back from the, like the 50s, the earliest days of ufology. And they're talking about this idea that there might be technological advancement on the other side of, of the veil. And sure enough, if you look back at some of these older cosmologies from China or Egypt, they say, yep, you die. And then you wake up and you eat and you drink and you go to the bathroom and you worship and you work in the fields. And you know, if that's the case, if it's as mundane as all that, why not technological advancement on the other side? I don't, I'm uncomfortable with that idea. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm really uncomfortable with that idea um, intellectually and quite frankly, spiritually. Like there aren't a lot of ideas that I'm uncomfortable with spiritually. I, I, I don't um, want to die and then continue the to do this. Right. Exactly. Monday mornings <laughs> still happen after you die. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I want a different experience. A good but one, how but a different, different one. Oh, it's, yeah. it's, it's different that it will totally overwhelm you by how different it is. Or maybe you want to be different in in degrees, you know, gradually different. Because I think that's what uh, Josh is getting at, that uh, the traditions that posit that after you die, you end up in a world that is kind of similar to this one. And then as you progress, you go into other spheres of existence that right. are become less and less uh, comparable to what your human experience was like. I, I also think, and uh, this is something more recent that I that I started feeling that death is not necessarily the same experience for everyone. Like what happens mm. to you when you die may not be a one hundred percent. This is what happens type of thing. It may be very different. For everyone, you know, maybe some people stick around as ghosts. Maybe some people reincarnate. Maybe some people move to another dimension. Maybe some people just rest for a while. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe some people get incorporated back into the whole, but it doesn't necessarily mean that, like, there's nothing in this world that is so absolute, you know? Like, this whole world seems based on as much variation as possible. Why would that change with death? Well, I, I, this, this, I'm going to take the chance to address this reductive statement that I heard that, uh, that just every time I get the chance to counter, counter argue it, I, I have to take up the banner. And I heard on a podcast, someone say, well, if reincarnation is real, then why are, why do people come back as ghosts? I'm like, okay, that's such a simple one-to-one -one way to look at it. Yeah. You know, maybe there's a part of us that lingers, maybe just the ego lingers in your true self, the thing that you, you know, is stripped of identity. Maybe that's what goes on to be reincarnated. I mean, there are so many different options. Right. Um, but yeah. again, people, people try to, I, I have found over the years that people think of these things in very narrow ways. Um, and it's saddening to that end. Um, oh no, I was, I was gonna, I was gonna ask you what you've become frustrated with over the past 10 years in these communities, but yeah, that's a good we, question. we don't, I to we don't want everybody too. complaining about sour grapes. So that's up to you, sir. <laughs> um, Tell us how, how much you hate UFO Twitter. <laughs> I avoided UFO Twitter, so it really didn't bother me that much. 
Um, I've never been a Twitter person. I mean, I'm on there and I've been on there since early on, but I've never actively used it very much or followed much on there. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a cycle. I mean, we, we see this repeated cycle in, in a lot of these fields and new people coming into it don't know because they haven't lived through the cycle yet. So they're very excited about the possibility of finding the answers. Finally, not realizing that that carrot has been on that stick for a long time. I'll never forget. This is before I signed off of Twitter for good, which is a, a decision that I will never regret, but I'll never forget <laughs> being on UFO Twitter and somebody being like, guys, guys, did you know that a UFO once shut down a nuclear missile base? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and I, I'm, I know that sounds like maybe I'm being snarky or something, but if you want to, I mean, and this was a, a highly pro, a, a prominent Twitter profile on UFO Twitter. Let's put it that way. And it's like, if, if you're going to to take the stage and speak with some degree of authority on this, avail yourself of the history of this phenomenon. Yeah. yeah. You know, it, I, I just, the, the boggles my mind. And sometimes I feel like it's just a lack of curiosity in some ways. So before I started this, did you want to say saying uh, Red Pill? I just wanted to add that not only a lack of curiosity, but also, uh, I I don't know. I I don't know if I want to say lack of integrity, but I guess a lack of honesty with regards to, you know, positions. There are people that shift their positions, uh, you know, with every single tweet they send and how, you know, five years ago they were saying this thing. And two years ago, they were seeing a, a different thing that would have to be modified because their expectations weren't met. Like five years ago, they said, yeah, that disclosure is going to be this year. You know, and yeah. like I, I have any on good, on good authority through my contacts that, you know, like next week, the gov- the Congress is going to like tell us that UFOs are real. And obviously that didn't happen. And then it's almost like, I don't know. When prophecy fails 2.0 with these with these people, and I don't know if it is actually you know an honest reaction of someone who wants to keep their faith. <laughs> I don't know how else to 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 categorize that. that their faith and that they they are going to see this wonderful thing they want they yearn so much UFO disclosure. So they have to keep themselves motivated by saying, well, okay, so you know this, that didn't happen, but. But I'm sure that next next year or, or, or next month it, it will. Or if it's by now, it is some kind of grift, you know, because obviously some of those uh, people have managed to capture an audience. They have a, you know, a YouTube channel or a podcast or something. Yeah. So now they have to, you know, keep keep uh, feeding the fires of disclosure, you know, to, to, in order to not lose their audience. I don't know. And, and, you know, there's a lot of people out there who just have a, va- you know, sort of a fun interest in this type of stuff. They're not looking for depth. They're just looking for the, the surface level. Oh, I want to believe in aliens or I want to believe in Bigfoot or I want to believe in ghosts. And they're not going to do the research. They're not going to. And, and with the internet, the way it is with social media, all these people have a voice. So they can push their, but I want it to be this. Well, that's, yeah. that's, I don't think those are the people, those, they're not the grifters. genuine, those genuine good actors are not the ones that, that Miguel and I are speaking of. Right. I'm, I'm talking about people who want to speak with some degree of authority and, or are so sure of their opinions Yes. that they'll, yeah. at the time when I was on UFO Twitter, before I got my death threats, um, <laughs> they would, <laughs> they would push back so strongly on a statement that I can back up or just, or just an opinion. And they'd be like, you know, 
Yeah. Well, no, you know, psychic phenomena don't leave returns on radar. And I'm like, okay, yeah, Young talked about this in his essay on flying saucers. Have you read that? No, I don't need to. It's like, okay, well, <laughs> then go away. <laughs> at least, no, at least understand to. like where my where I'm coming from on this. Yeah. So when I started this show, like the year before I started the show, what I thought of potentially doing it, uh, it initially came about because uh, as I was listening to more and more radio shows, um, initially looking for stuff with Graham Hancock and then being like, oh, wait, other people are going to be on these shows too and expanding out and trying to find other interesting shows. Uh, one of the ones I found was uh, Red Ice Radio, which now is a mm. completely different thing than it was then. But what, <laughs> yeah. but what I liked about Ooh. it is that the host, sometimes you'd forget the host was there. Like when he was interviewing someone, you know, when he had someone like Graham on or Robert Schock or something, he would let them talk. And when he asked questions, you could tell he knew the stuff, you know, like he, he would ask very informed questions. And that was, you know, a contrast to George Norrie on Coast to Coast, who I don't hate. Um, I found so many great guests from Coast to Coast. Um, mm. including Micah and including, uh, Jim Elvich, who was the very first guest on the show. I had just recently heard him on coast to coast and when he would make a perfect first guest and I wrote him and he wrote me back and said, I usually don't do shows on Saturday night, but I went to Cornell and I uh, used to listen to WVBR. He's like, I'd love to come on for your debut show. And uh, so that was kind of cool. But, you know, like Coast to Coast didn't go in depth. Red Ice went in depth. Now, uh, the exception there is uh, George Knapp. George Knapp always does good in-depth interviews. And most of the ones I've heard of him do. Um, so mm -hmm. I kind of modeled myself after that in Red Ice Radio a little. But then I'd hear some of these other shows. And there was one where the host just wasn't even – she was she was talking to Jesse Ventura and not even paying attention to what he was saying. And I was like, why does this person get to talk to Jesse Ventura? I want to talk to Jesse Ventura. You know, and I never did. And I probably wouldn't have him on at this point because we just don't do politics and stuff. But at the time, I, I was like, you know, I'd love to talk to Jesse Ventura. That would be a really interesting conversation. So I started thinking about doing it. But one of my problems was it's like, do I really know this stuff as well as I think I know this stuff? Because mm. I know I could talk to you know other people around me who have you know interests in it, but are not experts by any means. And so I was I was really nervous. Like, am I going to do this and just come off like an idiot because I don't actually know this stuff? And I reached out to Walter Cruttenton because I had been pretty blown away by the Lost Star Myth and Time book that he put out. And I, and I told him, I said, could, would you come on my music show? I'm like, because I'm thinking about doing a, a talk show on this stuff. Would you come on and, and let me interview you? And he said, let's talk. And I think that was one of the most nervous phone conversations I ever had because that was kind of going to be, you know, it. Like if, 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 I, if he said no, I probably wouldn't have done the show. Mm -hmm. So I got him on the phone. We talked for like an hour. It was a great conversation. And then he said, I would love to come on. So mm -hmm. we did the interview. We got done. I was nervous through the whole thing. And I said, how was that? He's like, that was great. He's like, you should definitely do this as a show. And I went, really? Okay. Okay. All right. Good. <laughs> and for a long time, every time I had a guest on, I said, do you have any comments? Like, did, did you like the interview? Did, did I, you know, was this a good conversation? And got generally all positive comments from guests who were also very happy I read their books, mm. which was not something I expected when they started telling me that most people don't read the books. <laughs> 
So, um, yeah, yeah. Right. That's, that's something you've been from the start is a top notch class, a interviewer. And I think that is a vanishingly rare talent and you should be commended for that. And 10 years shows that it paid off in the long run. Yeah. I, I, I feel yeah. like this is something I was supposed to do. Like I always knew there was something related to this stuff that I was supposed to do, but I, I never really knew what it was. I mean, cause this goes back to the nineties. And there weren't podcasts really in the nineties you know, nothing like that existed. So, you know, it wasn't, and when I started doing it, I'm like, this was the thing, this was the thing I was supposed to figure out that I needed to do. And, you know, I, like I said, I try to help other people in this field anywhere I can. That's why I like having, you know, new authors on like Joshua Crutch in there. Um, <laughs> and, and I literally misspelled Cutchin like the first 10 times you were on. Was, it was was it crutching? It was crutching every single time, yeah, yeah. and I would know it was crutching, and I my fingers would just add an R, and you'd be like, "You spelled my you spelled my name wrong again." I'm like, God, "Did I really, son of a?" <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I think to that extent, I also should thank you, Soraya, because a lot of where I am today is because of you. So, thank you so much for giving me a voice early on, and uh, yeah, I I just wish I could be on here more often. Well, you know, there's one person who could change that. Yeah, we could we could do these earlier. <laughs> we that could be you. <laughs> we, we, actually, we could record these earlier. That is something that could happen. Um, uh, there was something else I wanted to say to that effect, though. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm very, like I said in the beginning, I'm very much a fan of having like everyone help everyone else. I like to create communities. I like to get people in touch with other people. Um, like when I talked to Mike Cleland and then I talked to Aaron Gullius and I went, these two guys are like two different halves of the UFO field. And those are definitely my, my favorite, uh, where did the road go episodes when you have uh, Aaron and Mike go with it through the history of UFO or the year in review. You're right. Those two make a, a great chemistry. I don't know if it's because they are from the Midwest <laughs> so that's, uh, that make it makes it but uh yeah i i i have i have listened to some of those uh episodes more than once and it's, it's um, i like the fact that they're also completely okay with that they don't agree with each other right and that's always I mean, been an it, important thing there Go ahead, Josh. It is it is the peanut butter and chocolate of ufology. Um, <laughs> but I, I think to underscore that, I think it deserves to be said uh, time and again every time the topic of these two gentlemen comes up that there is a you, you did combine those into one mega download, right? Yeah, uh, a couple of years ago, so it doesn't have the more recent stuff, and I could right. only do. I think it had to be two halves. But but I guess the point is that if you are someone who wants to speak with some background about these topics, like that's that's a good way to do it. Just mainstream those podcasts <laughs> for like however long it is, 20 hours or whatever. Yeah. But just listen to them and, and you you'll you will come away with a very good grasp on the history of of, of ufology. All right, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. So this is our quick mid show break. I honestly can't believe this show made it to 10 years. I'm thrilled. Um, and, and actually, The Last Exit for the Lost, my music show, for anyone who is not aware of that, and if you're into heavy, dark music, check that out at thelastexit.org. That's it. I think 29 years this coming year, this June. So that's, that's just crazy to me. Um, there's so many people to thank for this show existing. But of course, beyond everyone else, all of you listening, are what keep the show going. Whether you're a patron or not, obviously patrons are a big part of keeping the show going. 
But even those of you who who just review it, who just listen, share it, and uh, interact, it makes the show what it is. And so thank you all for supporting me for however long you've been supporting me. Um, as a recommendation this week, uh, another podcast somebody actually suggested after I posted last week's show or the show two weeks ago on uh, on YouTube, they recommended a show called Station 151. And it's a horror sci-fi comedy. I don't know if it's actually listed as a comedy, but it's it's genuinely funny in spots. And uh, it's really good. It's about a guy who goes down to Antarctica, and he's uh, working for this sort of billionaire type of guy, sort of Elon Musk-ish type of uh, group. And uh, he doesn't actually know what he's supposed to do because everything's top secret. And I haven't gotten too far into it. I'm on episode, what episode am I? Oh, I guess I have. I'm on episode seven. Um, And I'm very much enjoying it. So I I would recommend it. It's new. So it's only been going for uh, a few months. Not even a few months. The first episode posted December 6th of 2022. Um, It looks like he did a couple there. But yeah, uh, most recent one I've listened to was called Trust, episode six, and uh, I am de- I am definitely enjoying it, so I'm going to recommend that one. Plus, it's a new podcast. It can probably use some love. Contact info, um, if you want to send me stories for a future listener stories episode, stories at wheredotheroadgo.com is the best way to do that. Anything else, contact at wheredotheroadgo.com is a good one. If you're looking to be booked on the show, Booking at wheredotheroadgo.com. Links to all our social media, Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, YouTube, Discord, all of that can be found at wheredotheroadgo.com. Everything related to the show should be available at wheredotheroadgo.com all the way back to the first show 10 years ago. Next week is our UFO history show with Mike Cleland and Aaron Gullius. We'll be talking about stuff that happened in 2022, and I'm sure it's going to be a blast. Um, also, if you want to snail mail me something, actually send me something, you can do so at Where Did the Road Go, P.O. Box 444, Ovid, New York, 14521. With that, let's go back to the show. And we are back with uh, Red Pill Junkie and Joshua Cutchin on the 10th anniversary of Where Did the Road Go? And uh, we were just talking about the UFO history shows. Uh, the UFO uh, 2022 UFO history show will be next week, um, unless something horrible happens. But I've already talked to both uh, uh, Mike and Aaron about taking care of that next next week. So we'll talk about what's happened in the last year in, in UFOs then. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think like a lot of people have told me they got into this show because they heard that. Um, and, and despite my earlier, uh, comments about, about David Politis's work, a large number of people found this show because of David Politis. There's, there's no way, you know, he, he was a, a huge internet thing for a while. People, you know, just devoured everything that was out there with him on it. Um, I don't think it's quite as popular as he was, but having him on early on definitely was a, was a, uh, way that I, more people found this show. And to clarify, again, I don't really have any problems with David. I just think that like his patterns and stuff don't hold up because so many of the cases need to be like reinvestigated and have the ones that are solved just kind of tossed out and then see what's left. Because okay, there are following on that, uh, do you have any in the, in the in the past ten years any UFO story that you used to believe, but now you think? 
uh, the case is bogus, so or it's not as as solid. Yeah, as you, as um, you once the, thought. Uh, the the big one there in the UK, um, Rendlesham. Rendlesham. Yeah, I would have said going in that Rendlesham was one of the best UFO cases, and now it's like ah, I don't know. There's so much disinformation. You had uh, yeah, the guy that worked with Peter Robbins that that turned out Larry to have Warren. lied. Larry yeah. Warren, yeah, and uh, Peter, yes. Peter, to Peter's credit, when Peter figured yeah. out that Larry was lying, he came right out and said, "Okay, this book is no, I don't know what's true and what's not in this book anymore, so I'm just yeah. leaving the whole Rendlesham thing behind. I was fooled. I was, not, you know, he didn't double down and try to be like, oh no, 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 you know." So, yeah, I think that bears repeating that what he did was the correct and honorable thing to do. And, and to, and also I think it bears repeating that it seems like something strange happened that evening. Um, it does, but how much of it was maybe created by the military to see how the people would react? Well, here's the thing though. I mean, that Rendlesham has always had a strange reputation and, uh, Everything from phantom black dogs to there was this famous account. Uh, I believe it's the Gervais of Tilbury account where they got a a wild man in their nets as they were fishing it off the coast there. And and again, Rendlesham is. I was astounded to learn this. Rendlesham is four miles from Sutton Hoo, uh, which is you know one of the largest uh, Anglo-Saxon artifact sites. And the dig itself at Sutton Hoo was sp- was uh, spurned on by sightings of, of ghosts, <laughs> of yeah, ghost Anglo-Saxons yeah. there. So the yeah. whole area, I mean, it's, it's Suffolk in general is, is really kind of strange. Yeah, and I know Peter Robbins said he had some saw weird lights and stuff when they were there. Yeah. Um, Andrew Collins in his Alien Energy book talked about, uh, I think it was right up there by Rendlesham, them see, having a whole bunch of weird stuff happen to them. So yeah, the area itself has a history of weirdness, so it's not impossible that Rendlesham was had something real going on. Um, but it's just been so muddied now. Mm-hmm. You know, unlike Roswell, it's not so far in the past that we can't find some info. But the military has clearly decided to make that info as muddy as possible. Yeah, exactly. So, like maybe in thirty years from now, we might find some new piece of information about Rendlesham once it's declassified. Yeah, maybe. And I'm fine with a 30-year moratorium on discussion of Roswell. That's that's fine by me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, aren't you excited that you will maybe be alive for the centennial anniversary of Roswell, Josh? <sighs> <sighs> 2047, man. And, and there again is one of those things that people don't realize that Roswell disappeared completely from public UFO dis- discussions for the most part. Until like 1980 with the MJ-12 documents. Mm-hmm. You know, people think Roswell's been a thing this whole time, and it has not, you know? Like, it wasn't until the late 70s, early 80s that Roswell started popping up, like, maybe this really was a f- crashed flying saucer. And so, and I remember watching a Fort Fest with John Keel, and he was on like a panel, and somebody asked him, oh, what do you think about the new book that's coming out on Roswell? And and Keel goes, you mean the one where they hypnotized the like two-year-old to get information that, you know, of what was happening? He's like, I think that's utter and complete nonsense and nobody should buy it. Yep. Keel is somebody I would have loved to have talked to, even if he was grumpy. <laughs> but um, And that's a good question. What, what personalities that have passed away 
Yeah. Would you like to talk to? Obviously him. Uh, break out, break out the Ouija board. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not going to lie. I, I wish I could still have Jeff Ritzman on. Yeah. Mm. Oh man. Um, yeah, you're here. It was someone else who passed away. Uh, oh, um, Oh, Guiley. What's her first name? Uh, Mary. Yeah. yeah. She was Rose, Rosemary. Rosemary. Yeah. Rosemary. 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 So I met her at Fort Fest there when I met you, Josh, the first time. And I talked to her about coming on the show and she was all for it. And then I never really got a hold of her. And then she passed away. She possessed a depth and breadth of knowledge and interests and, um, I guess, authorial acumen would be one way to put it. Um, prolific writer. Uh, and by you know, from my interactions with her, a lovely human being. And I've heard yeah. the same from others as well. Yeah, she was she was completely uh, a very sweet human being when I talked to her, and that that made me want to mm-hmm. have her on more. But I'm, you know, like I said, I'm always so overwhelmed with everything that I just never got around to getting a hold of her. I actually found her card recently that she gave me with all her info on it, and I was like, oh yeah, that never happened. Uh, speaking of cards, you know that the, the UFO tarot card featuring her. Uh, that is temperance is probably the one that I'm most proud of. Nice. Like the way that it came out, it's on, <laughs> it amazed me even myself. Like, oh, it's, <laughs> this looks kind of cool. <laughs> and it's also Susan Demeter's favorite card. Nice, nice. Yeah, I haven't had her, her on yet. I've talked to her about coming on and again, never followed up. Um, mm. I mean, there's definitely, I mean, in the ranks of people who helped make this show possible, I mean, obviously, uh, Walter Cruttenton was there, you know, and, and gave me feedback and agreed to come on my music show and talk about this stuff, uh, which I'm sure was a little out of step with, for what he was used to. What was funny is that, uh, you know, I told him it was a metal show and he was like, yeah, I don't, I'm not really into metal. And I sent him a copy of it with all the songs that I played in between, you know, because we'd talk for like 20 minutes, I'd play a couple of a song related to like the yuga cycle or something like that because there's lots of metal bands that sing about this stuff and he writes me back and goes yeah he's like this came out really good and it turns out i like the music you played and i'm kind of surprised (laughs) Uh, but a lot of it was like symphonic stuff from like therion and stuff so that's that's not shocking i had that same experience with richard dolan where he told me he didn't like metal and i'm like hang on and i pulled up some nightwish and played it and he went all right what's this i like this (laughs) But um, uh, uh, John Shooter was a huge mm-hmm. help with the website early on because uh, initially I had the sh- mm-hmm. had it on Blogger, and mm-hmm. so it was on Blogger and half on the Where Did the Road Go site. All the the new shows because I needed some kind of feed came off of Blogger, and so when he started talking to me, he offered to to do the website. He's like, "Can I can I make you a website for the show?" So you don't have to use Blogger and, you know, I'll show you how to keep it updated and everything else. So he was a, he's been a lifesaver on numerous occasions over the years. Uh, the man is a genius with code. Mm. Um, obviously if I wasn't on VBR, things might've gone differently because I don't know if I would have gotten those guests early on. Um, Micah Hanks was, I haven't talked to Micah in years, but Micah was instrumental in, helping me out early on as was paul kimball to a degree but more micah i mean micah had me on his show to help promote this micah would you know a couple times i ended up with a a guest canceling on me last minute and i'd contact micah and he'd be like yeah of course i'll come on so because i didn't know all you people then all all we we three are like six degrees of uh, micah hanks instead of (laughs) 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 true 
So, I mean, um, yeah. So I was going to ask you, um, this just came to me. What would you do differently? I don't know. After, with, with, with 10 years of, of hindsight. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I like where it is. So I'm afraid if I did anything differently, it wouldn't be in the same place. I think that's always my question. Like, I'll look back at events in my life and be like, would I change that? And I'm like, but I'm, I'm overall, I'm pretty content with my life. If I changed that, maybe I wouldn't be. That's a very healthy outlook. Like yeah. it, it may seem like, oh, I really wanted that to happen, but it didn't. But where would I be if that happened? Yeah, like uh, yeah, decisions we made, even terrible ones, uh, yeah. that that influenced our our path. Like yeah. probably, you know, the, if if my decisions have been different, I definitely wouldn't have connected uh, with all of you guys, and that's something that would have made my life. Uh, definitely all the more poorer. Yes. So, yeah. You know, so you have to take the good with the bad. Yep. Uh, because, you know, this like, well, it's, it's about the road. <laughs> where did the road go and where did the road will take you? And, and I do occasionally still get the question where the name comes from because I, I don't exactly talk about it all the time. Um, mm -hmm. I, it was the name of a blog that I had on the paranormal. But uh, it came from us. Uh, we used to do promotion and like interviews and stuff with wrestlers and stuff for a small wrestling company around here. And they'd bring in some uh, bigger name wrestlers. So we got to talk to like Jake the Snake Roberts and people like that. And boy, is that a weird interview. Um, but this night we were in Watertown, got to interview Kevin Steen, who I'm very happy to see is now one of the top guys in the WWE because he deserves it. And he, uh, and so we, we did all that and it was at a fair. And, uh, by the time we got done, all the lights were off, the fair was closed and we didn't even know where the car was because wherever we parked, they had like a tractor that would like take you to the fair. Cause it was a distance away. So we had to vaguely wander around until we found the car and I'd never been in Watertown and my girlfriend at the time wanted to get something to eat because we hadn't eaten the whole time we were there. And we pull up to the intersection and there's no, uh, no indication of where anything is, but down ahead of us, we can see all these lights that look like maybe main street. So we decide, okay, let's go straight. So we go straight. And what it is, is kind of an industrial driveway. And so we, we go over the top. My friend Lance is sitting next to me. Uh, my girlfriend's in the back with her friend. And as we go over, uh, like maybe a few feet onto this road, suddenly we're on gravel and then grass. And I am luckily not going fast. And I go, where did the road go? And Lance goes, where, where did the road go? Cause now what looked, cause it kind of dipped up and then dipped down. And when it dipped down, it made a 90 degree turn and it wasn't a curve. It was literally like a 90 degree, uh, like driveway type of situation. And like one of them leans forward and goes, did you say, where did the road go? And I was like, uh, <laughs> we just stopped in time before we went down this slope into a building. And looking at it later, I was like, oh, it's an industrial park type of thing. Okay. I mean, we went down the road and found something. But I'm telling a friend of mine, uh, my, my friend Maria, this story. And she goes, that should be the name of the memoirs for the last exit for the lost. Where did the road go? And I'm like, oh, that's perfect, except I'm never going to do that. <laughs> and then I thought, but I do have this paranormal blog, which was just called AP Paranormal, because I do everything under the, uh, the sort of general tag, Etheric Productions, and have since probably 91. And so it was just AP Paranormal, and I'd post blogs and stuff of, uh, you know, my thoughts on different things. And so I changed it to Where Did the Road Go? And that was in 2012, and that was also around the time I was thinking of starting the show. And so when the program director said, 
well, do you have an, a name? And I went, oh, well, where did the road go? That's totally what it's going to be. And he's like, that's awesome. And I'm like, okay, good. So very simple way the name came about. But again, a lucky sort of uh, circumstances that gave it the name because I have no idea what I would have called it. I if love I, that story. And if yeah, I had every, mm-hmm. every now and then I'll be driving by uh, an unfinished stretch of road or I'll see like a, you know, a, a driveway that's just stops and I'll think of where did the road go? Like I, I have it in the back of my head that I'm going to, <laughs> I have it in the back of my head that I'm going to take a picture every time I drive by one of them and I never do. But <laughs> send it to that's liminality. Yeah. But again, that, that's, that's one of those things, like things had to line up just right. Like not only did that whole thing have to happen, um, and mm-hmm. for us to be working with this, uh, wrestling company who we got in touch with because they wanted to promote on the metallic onslaught, um, which led us to staying late, which led us to almost driving off the road. Um, but also me having to tell my friend Maria that, you know, this story and for her to come up with that idea and it all just kind of lines up. If anything was different, who knows, you know, like, I mean, this reminds me of, uh, this quote by Terrence McKenna, who used to say that nature loves courage. And when you decide to do something and you're really passionate about it the universe will set out to remove obstacles mm. uh, in front of you so that you can actually you know uh, achieve something that you once thought was unachievable at least initially you know obviously despite obviously afterwards maybe you will you will find setbacks because that's how life is. But yeah, I, I, I'm thinking about how, what an auspicious year 2012 was for me as well, because yeah, I was listening to the Micah Hank show, uh, on my day job. Uh, I, I, I used to have a lot of time, uh, when I was, uh, doing computer renders for my, for the company I was working on. So I, you know, I was all alone in the office, and so I could put uh, 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 either on my headphones or without headphones. I put uh, uh, his podcast and uh, or his radio show, and I used to in the chat box. And then he had the idea with Scott, uh, Scott Roberts of doing the Paradigm Symposium. Right, and that's when you know I had this this compulsion for the first time. I said, okay. I want to interact with these people that I consider more friends than the people I actually interact with in real life. <laughs> I want to have the, the chance to actually go and talk to them. And yeah. how do I do that? Because obviously the, the, the conference was going to be in Minneapolis. I've never had any, you know, money on me. You know, money has always been an issue with me and, uh, the prospect of me traveling to, to the United States was very daunting. And that's when all of a sudden I had this uh, email uh, from Benjamin Grundy, from Mysterious Universe, asking me to write for them. And that money actually came pretty handy when it came to, you know, purchasing the tickets and uh, and paying for the airfare for, uh, for the Minneapolis conference. And that conference in itself like open the floodgates in so many ways like i can definitely say my life there was there is a very marked before and after that was defined by my decision that was a that was not a really uh but that was very uncharacteristic of me because like i said to our friend book (laughs) when i was on his podcast i can definitely consider myself a hermit (laughs) 
I like a crap that 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 likes to like stay inside a cave or stay inside <laughs> his house, like his. And I'm very comfortable like being like that. But at that time, for for no particular reason, I decided to like okay, let's play being an extrovert. You know, let's play being, and imagine, you know, going, like an introvert, going to this place where he he didn't know anyone, really. And not only that, but actually appearing at the hotel lobby wearing a bright red luchador mask. <laughs> it's like, it was kind of like a magic ritual in a way, you know. So it's like, was like manifesting the red pill junkie into this plane uh, <laughs> of existence instead of him living in virtual space, you know, in, ch in chat rooms and so on. And I feel that uh, where did the road go as an act of will had a same uh, or a similar origin. Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. And I, and I also remember, you know, seeing, you know, you had all those drawings of you with the wrestling mask and stuff. And I'm like, oh, cool. Another yeah. wrestling fan. Awesome. And then only <laughs> to find out that you don't give a damn about wrestling. <laughs> well, it's not like that. I, I understand. I value wrestling as a very Mexican uh, cultural representation sure, or a cultural sure. thing. And when we, I had Greg Bishop here in Mexico like uh, three years ago. And we went to a wrestling match, and and it's definitely something that if we had a chance, Soraya, I would love to take you to Arena Mexico so you can experience uh, Mexican wrestling uh, the way it's supposed to. And when you are in that moment, yeah, you, you become a, a wrestling fan. There's no, there's no way about it. Yeah, well, that crowd energy is insane. Mm -hmm. So, all right, can you guys stick around for a patron? Sure, I shouldn't, uh, but I will. All right. Thank you, Josh. Uh, Josh, where can people find you and all your awesome work? JoshuaCutchin.com. That's J-O-S-H-U-A-C-U-T-C-H-I-N. No S, like one cut chin. JoshuaCutchin.com. So there's no R in there? <laughs> it's not Joshua Crutchin, no. <laughs> and Red Pill, where can people find all of your stuff? They can find me at DailyGrail.com and also my personal website, absurdbydesign.com and hopefully very soon um, all our wonderful backers will be able to receive uh, their copy of the UFO Tarot deck and also you know, for people who are actually uh, requested it, the book the accompanying book that was edited by Josh and it's looking absolutely wonderful um, and it's something that I'm, I'm very proud of and Thank I'm, I'm, I, kind words. I, I'm looking very forward to seeing it. Um, and, and thank you both for being such awesome friends in the time I've known you. Um, and I can say that about most of the, really all the regulars on where the road go. Uh, it's such an awesome group of people. And I feel blessed to have that sort of, uh, to know that many awesome people. And to have so many awesome listeners, um, even if I don't get to interact with them as much as I would like to, the people who listen to this show are mostly amazing people. And uh, <laughs> except for some of you in the YouTube comments, <laughs> <laughs> once in a great while, but but it's it's rare. It, I, I think the fact that this show is not a shallow sort of show, you know, it brings in really incredible people. 
I mean, anytime we do an AMA, the questions are just insanely good and uh, hard questions. So especially the mm-hmm. Patreons a lot of times because they're the ones most invested in it. And uh, yeah, without them, it would be it would be hard to keep going doing this show without all that support. So thank you, everybody who has ever been on, who has ever supported us, ever been a patron, is a patron, or even, you know, left us cool reviews or told people about the show. And thank you to for doing this 10th anniversary show with me. Congratulations. We're, uh, we're all honored uh, to have been, been part of this, and I'm looking forward to the 20th anniversary of Where Did the World Go? Let's hope when we have all the answers. <laughs> Let's hope we're all around. <laughs> <laughs> and we've solved everything. Now nah, that would it's, suck. It's, yes. it's we've solved a few things. It's going to be dystopian landscape. It's going to be this dystopian <laughs> landscape, and there's going to be a radio, and it's just static on. It's gonna be, <laughs> this is Where Did the World Go? <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to give a shout out here to all of my Patreons and a special shout out to those of you pledging $10 or more. Billuminati, Chuck Shutters, Leanne Cherry, Allison Cook, Super Inframan, 36 Dingo, CJ, Tim, Andrew Nichols, Matthew Sproul, Christine, a blue second gen MR2 drifting around a Japanese mountain, Patricia Gaiaquinta, Alex Whitcomb, American Rambler, Andrew Maines, Ann Witowski, Barbara Fisher, Beverly Williamson, Big Boy Limina, Charles Davis, Charles in Florida, Land of the Crazy Incommunicable, Chris, Chris Cisternos, Craig Parmenter, Diane B, MTK, Eric Todd, Jay, James Lattimore, James Lindsay, John Bracken, Carla Mahoney, Kevin, Kevin Shrek, Cool Kitty, Kristen L., Laser Printer Jam, Lauren McLean, Linz Jackson K., Luke Osborne, MJ Armstrong, Jim and Sophie, Mark Brady, Matt in Delaware, Mr. Weird, Ole Andre Olar, Patricia W., Paul Jeffries, Philosopher of Mirrors, Ray Benedetto, Riker and Stark, Ron Dupre, Sam Sharon, Seed Person One, Stacy Sherwood, Tactical Therapist, Taylor Bell, Thunderboy, Tyler Glimstead, Varosh K, Vincent Trewell, Walker, Will Gebhard, Will Powell, and Ren Collier. Thank you all so very much. You help make this show possible. There's, of course, a Patreon segment along with this, as we mentioned. And, uh, yeah, that's it. Tenth anniversary. We start the 11th year next week with the UFO history. I'd like to uh, give a shout out to a new patron for this week, uh, Caroline Walker. And I'd also like to give a special shout out to Vincent Trewell, who does uh, the recaps for the show every week and does a great job just covering a quick view of everything we're talking about so you can see if it's something that interests you. And I really appreciate him doing that. He, uh, he does have his own podcast called The Weird Part with Vincent Trewell. So I recommend people check that out. And he just published his first, I think his first, fictional novel called Cosmic Collision, which I'm pretty sure you can find on Amazon. And the only song I could really pick to take you out on this show is the one I used for quite some time uh, in the beginning to end the show. And that's Psyche Corporation's Whirring World. And when we talk about connections and such... If I had not met her, there's a lot of other stuff I never would have got involved in doing. So until next week, I'll see you next time. Come in. Do you need me? Do you understand the numbers pouring over your connection? Singing, soaking into our transmission. 21, 34, 55, 89. 
listening to Where Did the Road Go? This show is made possible in part from our Patreons, and we thank you and everyone listening for helping us continue this exploration of the strange. You can always find everything Where Did the Road Go related at www.wheredidtheroadgo.com. And thank you so much for your support. <laughs>